You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so Bezras Hashem, tonight we're going to be continuing our series of Shirim on the inner world of recovering. And we're going to pick off from where we left off in terms of understanding the relative position that we need to have in mind whenever talking about recovering from anything in a, in a universal phrase. Because generally speaking, when we talk about recovery from some sort of substance abuse addiction, what we're talking is about is the decrease in physical dependency so that an individual can then work on the psychological or the mental dependency that remains or that even pre-existed the physiological dependency. And then slowly but surely working on a program of recovery to ensure that one does not return back to that set of behaviors. Now, like we've said numerous times, and we spoke about this in the Shirim on addiction as well, in order for the sugya, in order for the concept of addiction and recovery to mean something universal, which I believe it should, we have to move away from the detail-oriented understanding of the psychological issue of addiction and abstract it back to its source as a, a human condition. Meaning to say that while not everybody experiences physiological dependency on some sort of substance or behavior, thereby freeing them from the need to engage in actual steps of detoxification and the recovery process, on the abstract level, the human being, the human condition lives within the two polarities of the potential towards addiction and the potential towards recovering. And as we said, recovering is ultimately the awareness that I am always already situated in a place in my life where I am in need of returning somewhere. Returning to what? I don't know because I don't know what has brought me to this fall. I don't know how I ended up in this place. It's always after the fact that the human being lives with a certain sense of afterwardness as if the dust is always just settling from some calatomy or some issue that took place previously. And truth be told, it doesn't matter so much specifically what the event was, especially when we're not talking about a specific event as in a capital T trauma, which is a completely separate category altogether. But the trauma of everyday life leads us into a position where we're always already after the fall, armed and tasked with the urgency of returning to ourselves and returning upwards ever so slightly in a perpetual movement of moving forward. In order to open this concept up to everybody, no matter where they find themselves, the Torah speaks to everybody, no matter, no matter where they find themselves. 
For the words of Primia Satora to be the medicine, as we have spoken about so often, as Rabbi Nassim of Nimrov would refer to Rabbi Nachman as the Reifesha Barofim, the doctor of all doctors, and the sicker an individual is, Rabbi Nachman says, the greater the doctor that they need. And what Rabbi Nachman and what the Baal Shem Tov and what the Arizal and what Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and what Moshe Rabbeinu understood was that in our generation, there would be a sickness. There would be this intensification of desire to fulfill the lack that we experience within ourselves, which is what is referred to as the potential towards addiction. And therefore, in order to be makdim refuah lamaka, we understood the teachings of Pnimiya Satora. The teachings of Pnimiya Satora, if they are to mean anything, they need to mean everything. If the words of the Baal Shem Tov or the words of Rabbi Nachman are to maintain even a semblance of the inherent kandusha that exists and saturates the syllables and the letters that comprise their teachings, then their teachings need to be applicable to everybody, no matter where that person finds themselves. Bain ba'ayil, when a person is ascending in that darga of ratzo, of running towards spirituality, as well as when a person is in a darga of shov, or retreating away from kedusha. Whether a person is in a mindset of azamra, of trying to uncover the positive points within themselves, to declare the affirmative stance in this moment about the value of myself in reality, or if I'm in a state of IA in an existential cry out of the abysmal depths of my soul in a world that appears to have lost all light, wherever I find myself, I have to believe deeply that the medicine of our tzaddikim, the medicine of the roifim, of Rabbi Nachman, of the Baal Shem Tov, of the Arizal, of the Yechide Hadoros, speaks to me no matter where I find myself. That is axiomatic. And therefore, we all have to be able to find ourselves on the chain or the line of the levels of sickness in order that we can find ourselves in need on the chain or the line wherever we may find ourselves of the Rufua itself. Rabbi Nachman opens up Sichos Haran with a very important teaching. It's going to be a teaching that we examine later on in this series of Shira when we discuss the nature of spirituality or our particular understanding of godliness as it's brought out in recovery literature, God of our understanding. Now, God of my understanding is a concept of das. Das is understanding. How do I incorporate and internalize in a deep way my relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? And what we're going to see is that this is not an idea that is foreign to Kedusha, but rather it is present and at the heart of Kedusha itself. Both the Balhatanya in his Hakdama Tutanya, as well as Rabbi Nachman in the first teaching in Sikho Saran, quote a very important teaching based on the Pasuk and Mishlei that is comprised in the Eishat Chayil song, which we say that Noide B'Sha'arim Bala. Noide B'Sha'arim Bala means, technically speaking, that the woman of valor, that feminine counterpart that each and every individual has, whether they're in their solitude or whether they're with a partner of some sort, that feminine counterpart, that vulnerability, that emotional side of ourselves, in spite of the fact that according to the typical hierarchical grasp of how things work, we assume that femininity and that vulnerable emotional space is below intellectualism or below the mind. In truth, what the Pasuk is coming to tell us is that the feminine quality of Aishas Chayil is Ateras Bala, that that which you thought was lower is in truth the crowning jewel of that which you thought was higher. And the way the Meforshim explained the Pasuk, Noida B'Sha'ar and Bala, is that the Baal, the husband, that 
representation of masculinity, of expression, of conquering, and all of the synonyms that go along with the masculine impulse within spiritual teachings is in truth known in the gates of town. It's known, his name goes before him, but why? Because of his wife, because of the feminine counterpart. Her husband will be known in the gates primarily because of her reputation, that the feminine is that which qualifies the status of the masculine. And the Zohar HaKadosh has a very, very important teaching on this teaching. The Zohar in the first volume in Parshas, in Parshas Vayera, and Kuf Gimel Ahmed Beis starts off with a conversation. It says, we have looked, it quotes the Pasuk, and it says, we have looked from the beginning of creation and we have come to find that there is no creature, no human being, no malach, no saraf, no celestial being that has ever come close to grasping HaKadosh Baruch Hu We looked down below in the human realm, in human experience, and we have come to find that there is no human being who can claim quite literally that they have grasped what they're meant to grasp. And you come along and the Pasuk from Shlomo Melech says, no that God is known in the heart of each and every person. How could you possibly say this? God is not known to anything above or below. And what the Zohar HaKadosh answers is as follows. And you come to say that each and every person can have a grasp of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Rather, it's certain that it is known in the hearts of the individual but rather what it means is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is truly grasped and is truly known in the heart of each and every individual according to their capacity to grasp HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This teaching is what allows us to approach questions of spirituality, questions of growth, questions of awareness and presence of mind, not on an absolute scale, as if there is only one way of grasping HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and either you grasp it or you don't grasp it. There's only one way of doing tshuva, and either you grasp it or you don't grasp it. That's what we may have thought comes along the Zohar and the Nachman and the Balatanya by utilizing this teaching in the Zohar, and they relativize the process for us. They say that in truth, there are as many individuals, as many experiences as there are, so too corresponding to each and every experience, there is a way of grasping HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Each and every person grasps HaKadosh Baruch Hu or tshuva or movement forward according to the conjecture of their own heart, according to their conditioning, according to their experience and the way that they were raised and the way that they experienced childhood and the way they experienced adolescence and the way they experienced early adulthood and adulthood and all of the transgenerational elements that go into creating the consciousness or that unconscious drive of the human being. Das, my understanding, is informed by so many concentric circles that are within my control and beyond my control to the extent that my understanding of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is my understanding and it's true according to my own heart, while the person right next to me might have a completely different understanding of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in return, and that's true according to their own heart that if we want to begin to taste the sweetness of Pnimiya Satora and the insight that it offers for us, we have to first and foremost shatter the idol of the notion of some absolute static truth that is true for each and every person. And we have to open ourselves up to this dizzying notion of relativity, 
that each and every person, yes, we're relating to the same essential truth, but our own relative positioning is what gives us access to that truth. Depending on where a person is at, depending on where a person's life has brought them, is exactly where they need to uncover the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in that moment. And that's not a bidi eved. That's not, oh, I can't live up to that person's experience of God or return, and therefore I might as well just be satisfied or settled with my own experience. But rather, this is the essential and l'chatchila way of experience God. Each and every person is their own world. Each and every person has their own contours and confines and constructs and boundaries and definitions of what good means and what bad means and what light means and what darkness means. And until we're able to get over this notion of comparison and kinna and taiva and kavod, of trying to be what the other person is, we will never find satisfaction of sameach b'chelko being happy with my own lot, which is both true on a physical level as well as a spiritual level. It's only when we understand that kol chad lefum shiura delay, that each and every person has their own understanding of growth and distance, can we begin to open up these concepts of recovery and tshuva and moving forward and allow them to be applied to each and every individual. This is the famous story that we all know that the Rebbe Rebzusha would say that when I go up to Shemayim after 120 years, I am not going to be worried about Hashem asking me why I wasn't more like Moshe Rabbeinu or why I wasn't more like the Magad of Mezrich or why I wasn't more like Yenem or the other person. What I'm most worried about is Zusha, why weren't you like Zusha? Why weren't you capable of living up to the individual representation of spirituality that you were supposed to live up to? It's only when we forget and we blind ourselves to everybody else's darche avoda and their relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Kedusha and light that we can open ourselves up to believe that I have my own HaKadosh Baruch Hu right here with me, in spite of the fact that that person has a different conception of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's not, God forbid, to come and say that there are multiple Kakadush Baruchus. That's axiomatic. That's the Aleph phase. We're not quite from here. We're not childish in our misunderstanding of what Kadusha means. What it means is that a Kadush Baruchu is so big. Gut is so big, as Rabbi Nachman said, is so tremendously big. And Rabbi Nassim describes the hand motion that Rabbi Nachman was doing when he said those words, God is big, with his hands motioning as if it was endlessly large beyond human comprehension. That means that there's room for each and every person to find their own piece of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, their own piece of Kedusha, their own piece of return in their own level. When it comes to the question of recovery, the ultimate question needs to be, first and foremost, what am I recovering from? What am I moving away from? Now, for one person, it's going to be a very specific behavior. It's going to be a self-destructive substance usage or a self-destructive behavioral addiction or a self-destructive cognitive distortion or ways of thinking that are old and chameh stick that have to be gotten over or a tendency towards anger that has been along for too long or falling into the different chata'im and the transgressions that I find myself falling into. Whatever it is that a person wants to return from, they have to create within their minds the decision, the hachlata, that I would like to move forward from here. Now, according to the principle of relativity, that we spoke about, that each and every person is a self-contained universe in terms of their relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it could be that one person's tshuva, one person's recovering, can be from 
small things. It can be from sleeping a little bit too much. And in that person's experience, that is the full totality of the experience of recovering, that I want to try and extricate myself and untether myself from the vacuous confines of being stuck in that sleepliness and that sleepiness and move myself forward. Now, according to the person right next to me, their problem might be so large that to sleep 20 hours a day would be a victory for them. And what they're trying to recover from is a destructive behavior that is more detrimental to themselves. The very fact that two people are trying to recover from two entirely separate things does not detract from the inherent value within each and every person's process in tshuva. Each and every person needs to move forward from the place that they have fallen into. This is one of the more remarkable and important teachings that Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi Nassim teach us over and over again, that when discussing failure, when discussing fallenness or transgression, or being stuck within the confines of those abysmal depths of hopelessness and despair, they are never specific in what they are talking about. You don't find in Rabbi Nachman's writings, and especially in Rabbi Nassim's writings, an emphasis on the particular chata'im or the particular avonot or pshaim that a person engages in. You don't find the specification towards what exactly the bad behavior was or what the distortion was. Rather, the language is open-ended in its relative nature of kesha'adam nofel l'makom shanofel, when a person falls into the place that they fall into. It is incredibly open-ended and each and every person has the right to interpret within those words exactly what it means according to the bitterness and the understanding of their own heart. I don't have to announce it to another person. I don't have to express it to another person. I just have to make that hachlata to return from the place that I have fallen into. Now, once a person begins the process of returning, once a person begins the process of moving forward and extricating themselves out of that stuckness, the next important piece to keep in mind is the fact that when we are engaged in tshuva, when we're engaged in returning back to a place that we feel that we have fallen from, when we're engaged in the process of trying to extricate ourselves and pull ourselves out and untether ourselves from the stuckness and those difficult behaviors or attitudes or things that need to be let go of, we have to hold two cards in our hands. On the one hand, we have to recognize that every step, every movement that I engage in, every aspect of tshuva, whether it's a hear her tshuva, whether it's a momentary thought of return, whether it's stopping the behavior for an hour or five hours or a day or a week or a month, I need to value each and every step that I take away from that darkness of my life. Each and every step needs to be celebrated. Each and every step needs to be seen as if I have engaged in the greatest efforts imaginable. I have to learn very quickly to celebrate the very little victories that I experience in any aspect of recovering. It is not only the end result that is going to bring joy. If we feel that it's the end result that's going to bring joy, then we exercise the idea of joy out of our lives. If I think that joy and satisfaction and spiritual bliss can only be found at the end of this journey of tshuva that I feel that I'm encountering when I am trying to move myself away from behaviors, that is a surefire way of dooming myself into the abyss 
of self-judgment and resentment against myself, against God, and against the world, but rather the proper approach according to my humble understanding of what the books are telling us, what the holy books are telling us, what the secular books, Lahavdil, are telling us, what the tzaddikim are telling us, is that we need to find the, infin the infinite recesses of spiritual strength that exist within each and every movement forward, each and every movement forward. I have to celebrate everything, no matter how minuscule it was. I have to look at every moment as if this is the movement that I needed to engage in right now. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov tells an incredible story, and we're not going to go into the details of it, and we've touched upon this before. But there was a tzaddik, and this tzaddik is referred to in the 48th teaching in the second volume of Lukutim Aran, which is referred to as the Igeres from Rabbi Nachman the petak that fell down from Shemayim and found itself in Lakuta Maran, so to speak, that speaks directly to each and every Jew. It's a letter of Chizuk that talks about how a person can never be miyayish and a person can never lose hope. But there's a story that expresses a little bit of the narrative context of that Misa, that there was a tzaddik who one day found himself completely thrown out of Kedusha. He no longer felt himself on the path of recovering, of moving away from the confines of his self-destructive behavior, so to speak, but rather found himself stuck in the muck of self-doubt and this worldliness. And after a while of trying to uncover certain elements of residual goodness that existed within him, those irreducible nakudos tovos, as Rabbi Nachman explains to us, as we're going to see later on in the shirim, he was able to extricate himself out of the mud. He was able to lift himself up a little bit, dance through the dregs and raise himself. And in the fantastical world of Rabbi Nachman's stories, by raising himself out of the uffar, out of the mud, out of the muck, out of the darkness of self-despair, he begins to float a little bit. He begins to be me'ofif b'shamayim. He begins to fly like a bird. He's free like a bird to move off of the heaviness of the ground and float into the sky. And he begins flying through the celestial palaces. He's going from world to world. And he's self-aware throughout. This is the miracle of Rabbi Nachman's story. It's fantasy that maintains a deep sense of self-awareness at every single moment so that the fantasy never untethers itself from what it means to be stuck in the confines of human experience. And the merging of those worlds to be human and to be non-human, to live in reality and fantasy at once is one of the elements, one of the beautiful elements that paves that dreamscape of Rabbi Nachman's stories. And this person in his self-awareness says, oh boy, I'm flying very far from where I started. I don't know how I'm going to return. He's aware that he's in spiritual bliss. Clearly he found this thing, this jetpack engine that catapults him into spiritual bliss and unity but he's aware that I'm probably going to find myself very far from home when I stutter back down to the ground. And he begins to putter back down and the air underneath his wings begins to fluster and he falls down to the ground. And now he's dealing with the fears and the anxiety of how in the world am I ever gonna make it home? And what he finds to his profound surprise is that not only had he not gone very far, but when he falls back to the ground, he's exactly at the point where he took off from. And Rabbi Nachman says that he didn't even move an inch. And then there's an addendum to the story. There's an addition to that story that tells us that when he measured it clearly, he saw that he had moved he had moved a hair's breadth. The way that the Tamidim, the way that the Tzadikim understand what Rabbi Nachman was telling us is that sometimes all it takes is the slightest movement out of the stuckness that a person encounters in their lives, whether it's on a darga of ratzon, whether it's on a targa of desire or thought or speech or action, 
no matter how small the gesture forward, we don't know the value and the worlds of spiritual bliss and value of real inherent growth that takes place even by the slightest nudge forward. Even when it looks like we haven't even moved a hair's breadth, it appears that we have moved as far as we needed to go. And this needs to be a Klal Gadol when a person is in the process of recovering. Because sometimes when a person is inspired, when a person encounters that burst of enthusiasm, that moment, that rock bottom experience, that moment of truth where a person comes to terms with the MS of their lives. I mentioned this earlier this week that the notion of rock bottom, the notion that is so often parroted around in the world of recovery in specific to substance abuse is this notion that a person needs to lose everything in order to pick themselves back up again. And that the loved ones of the individual are warned, stay on the sideline, be an observer, because the moment you intervene is the moment that you ruin the entire process of recovery. And so the individual who is suffering from whatever they're suffering with is told that you need to lose everything in order to come to terms with the fact that you need to return. Now, the reason this is one of the singular most destructive psychological notions, or at least the understanding of the concept is so destructive, is because in reality, the only rock bottom that exists is death. Until a person actually expires, God forbid, from whatever destructive experiences they're engaging in, there's always room to go down. And death is not even the lowest, it's just the cessation of being able to dig down even deeper. The notion of rock bottom is really, in truth, it's a moment of self-reflection. It's a moment of being able to see my eyes without the blinders that I have imposed unconsciously and consciously. It's a moment of truth. It's a moment of tshuva. It's like Rav Lazar ben Derdayev when he comes to recognize that ein hadavar tali elabi, that the matter is dependent solely on me that heavy burden of responsibility that the individual catches wind of when their mind is no longer defending against the harshness of what we know to be true very often, and we're able to smell that whiff of that potency of truth, in that moment, a person has two paths in front of themselves. I can experience this truth. I can allow the MS to break my heart. I can see myself as the tzaddik would see me. As Rabbi Nachman says that we see very often in the words of Chazal that nasav enav bo v'nasa gal shal atzamos. That in the story of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, Rabbi Shimon, after he comes out of the cave, he encounters this oso zakin, that old man, that elderliness, that broken staleness who sees everything in a static form as opposed to the dynamism that spirituality is rooted upon, Rabbi Shimon sees him and he says, are you still around? Is this oldness still around? Are these old notions, this misleading platitudes of what it means to be a Jew, a person in this world, are they still around? And almost in the Cyclops type of way, Rabbi Shimon looks at him and he, with his laser eyes, he creates a pile of bones and dust. Now, as intense as a vision as that is, Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nachman, the Raifa Shabaropin, comes along and he offers us a more pleasant psychological understanding of such a teaching. He says that the tzaddik, the Indian of a tzaddik, the or of a tzaddik, that idealism that exists within the world, that rightness that exists, that affirmative stance that says everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be, whether I see it or not. That or hatzadikim yismach, that or zarua letzadik simcha. That joy, that light that is hidden underneath in the recesses of all existence and in the experiences of each and every individual that remains so 
covered over by the thickness and the brokenness of our own experiences, that or of the tzaddikim, that or hagonus the tzaddikim that exists, it breaks free sometimes. There are moments, like in moments of Hanukkah, in moments of Shabbos, in moments of Sichas Chaverim, in moments of visiting places that are holy, that that light breaks free. And it's like the, the Kohen, Leonard Cohen would say that, forget your perfect offering, there is a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. When the cracks open up and the light begins to shine, we see the world very differently. And Rabbi Nachman says, this is what it means when it says, <laughs> that the tzaddik, the light of the tzaddikim, gives itself over to the individual. It gives its eyes over. The tzaddik, or the or of HaKadosh Baruch who says, here, look at the world, look at yourself the way I see you. And in that moment, in that moment of truth, it's so overwhelming that nasa gal shel atzamos, I, I, I am, am broken, I, I shatter, I fall apart. But gal is also a language of giloi. Gal Open up my eyes, reveal my eyes to see the sweetness of your Torah. Atzmos doesn't only mean bones, but it also means the essence. That when the tzaddik, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu allows us to see the world the way the tzaddikim saw the world, that's a moment of truth. It's a moment of truth. And I could decide at that very moment to be chayzer b'tshuva, to move forward, or as Rabbi Nachman teaches us and all of the tzaddikim teach us, I can use more to quiet that voice. I can engage in more detrimental behavior in order to bury that voice, to ensure that it never arises here again. And the choice is open in front of that person. That's what rock bottom means. Rock bottom doesn't, God for mean that a person has to nearly die in order to decide to get help. Rock bottom means that a person comes to a place in their lives where they make the decision that it's time to move forward from whatever it is that I want to move forward from. A person decides to be a balchuva, and in that moment, the person is a balchuva. And a person has to believe in the very little bit, in the, min the minuscule, infinitesimal pieces of tshuva. This is the halacha. Chazal tell us a remarkable, remarkable idea. The Rambam brings it down the halacha in his Ilchos Tshuva, that a person who says to another person, a person who says to a woman that, please, I'm going to marry me on the nas sha'anit tzadik amor. Marry me on the condition that I am a truly righteous individual. And even if that individual is the greatest low life in the world, that person is stuck in whatever they're stuck in. In that moment, there's a suffix that the marriage is chal, that the marriage is real because he was mahar her b'tshuva. In that moment, everything is fixed. And we have to believe in that. We have to believe that the very slight step that we take in our lives is enough. That's one element of it. One element of the recovery process is the need to believe in a little bit. Because in truth, each and every moment offers itself up as its own universe. And if I am able to rectify this moment, if I am able to rectify this element of my life, then that element of my life is fixed legamre. Ah, the next moment I fall, it has absolutely nothing to do with the previous moment. Each and every moment of my life is a universe unto itself. Each and every opportunity of awareness is an opportunity to fix something, to move forward. And if I move forward in one moment and I move backwards in the next moment, so those are two worlds that I have in my pocket right now, one moment of moving forward and one moment of moving backwards. It's not linear. It's each and every individual moment a person experiences in this life is an opportunity to encounter the wholeness of the cosmos, the wholeness of eternity. 
This is something we're going to discuss Hashem, in the next week's year with regards to the notion of time as it relates to the process of recovery, as it relates to the process of tshuva. We've spoken about the anxiety of time as it relates to the process of addiction, but we're going to talk about the redemption of time, the elevation of time as it relates to the process of recovery. But suffice it to say for right now that each and every moment is the whole universe collapsed into itself. Everything is present. Everything is right here. And if I move forward right now, that's good enough. And even if I falter, and even if I fall, it doesn't negate the growth that I've been engaged in. It doesn't negate the progress that I've made. All it says is that I have to take the next opportunity to move forward. This is something that many, many people confront as existential issues when they open up on the path of tshuva, when they open up on the path of recovering. A person thinks that I make a hachlata. A person says to themselves, I'm making a decision to move forward from this point forward, and I count my days of moving forward one day, two days, three days, four days. Ad kedekach, that I can say it's been 797,000 days since I've been in a state of recovering. I've been osek in tshuva. I've been returning in tshuva. Now that's wonderful. It's wonderful to be able to track the progress that a person engages in, in the progression of their growth from what they perceive as their stuckness into what they perceive as the redemption from that stuckness. But the danger inherent is that, is that it becomes an abject self-worship. It becomes work of gaiva. I celebrate myself because I have this amount of days clean, this amount of days in sobriety, this amount of days in recovery from my chata'im, from my brokenness, from my anxiety, from my anger, whatever it is, from my overeating, from my oversleeping, from my lack of attention, from my mindlessness, from my temptation, from my jealousy, from my resentment, whatever it is a person is recovering from, a person begins to feel iacious. They begin to feel that kvedus, that heaviness that comes along with the quest for kavod. And that look at me, I'm the Cal Ripken Jr. of consecutive days in recovery. I have been the most consecutive. But what happens when a person falls? What happens when a person inevitably falls into what they fall into? If I have been basing my strength, if I have been celebrating myself based on the amount of days that I've accumulated, then getting up after the fall is going to be an impossibility. Because how can I get up from yesterday when I had a million days to today where I have zero days? How can I get up from yesterday when I was perfect to today when I'm completely destroyed? But the MS, the answer is that each and every day is a new day. Each and every moment of experience of tshuva, of recovering, of moving forward is a world unto itself. And avada, it's important to count days and it's important for us to track our progress. And as human beings, we need to affirm our experiences. We need to advocate for ourselves and applause our efforts. But at the very same moment, I have to say one day, one day, one day, one day, one day, one day. And then after seven units of a singular day, I can say I now have seven days that comprise into a new unit of time, which is referred to as a week. Because BMS, a day is not a day, but rather a day is a composition of hours. And an hour is not an hour, but rather an hour is a composition of minutes. And a minute is not a minute, but a minute is a composition of seconds. And a second is not a second, but rather it's a composition of irreducible tiny fragments of time, each and every one of which contain the entirety of the cosmos within them. And if I fix that, I have fixed everything. And in the words of the Balei HaZohar, if it were only for this to come into the world, it would have been enough. I have to have that perspective in every single moment. 
to celebrate the consecutiveness of days, but also to recognize that each and every day lived is an experience of existence unto itself. I am born in the morning, I am recreated. The morning is my sebaceous. The afternoon when I grow tired and weary and tired and lazy and all of these different things, that's a moment of revelation. That's the darkness that descends onto the world. That's the Harsinai and the Sinna that comes along with Harsinai. And then when I put my head down on the pillow at night, I am dead for the day. I die for the day. I give myself over completely to the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to the hands of that which I don't understand. And the next day is an entirely new existence. What happened yesterday has absolutely nothing to do with what happens today. And what that means also is that if I rest my laurels upon what I've accomplished today, and I assume that that's going to work for me for tomorrow, then I am completely missing the point of what I need to engage in. I have to understand that each and every moment is enough. Each and every moment is a world unto itself. There was really an entirely other aspect of tonight's shir that I, that I wanted to go into in terms of the relative progress of growth, but I'm going to save it for the next year because I'm learning that uh, a little bit is also good. So for tonight, just to kind of come back on what we've been talking about, there is infinite work that needs to be done. Each and every day brings with it a new demand and a new urgency to move forward. But the only way that we can begin to move forward is by acknowledging the value of each and every moment of moving forward. One day is an eternity. One moment of joy, one moment of bliss, one moment of recovery from that which I was stuck in is enough to celebrate. It's enough for me to feel like I am a whole person. What we're going to talk about next week, Be'ezra Sashem, is how we can balance that sense of being okay with each and every step with the real deep recognition that the job is never done. Because the moment I rest on my laurels by accepting what is right now as all that exists in front of me, and that prevents me from moving forward, that I'm only grabbing hold of one piece of yichud. The real secret of unity, the real secret of Avedis Hashem, the real secret of recovery is to recognize that yes, each and every moment is a world unto itself, but in relationship to the next moment, that moment is completely broken because I have a new opportunity ahead of me that is going to transform the previous moment into a, a, a deadly desert. Everything is always moving upwards and each day brings with it new opportunities. Each moment brings with it new opportunities. So on the one hand, I have to recognize very deeply that what I do in each and every moment is enough. Hashem is enough. I am enough. And this moment is enough for me to rest on my joy of moving forward. But in the very next moment, almost simultaneously in an impossible way, I have to open myself up to the recognition that the ceiling that I have just reached is simply the floor of the next level ahead of me. Ad ein sof. And that is why, like we said, recovering is not a noun, it's a verb, it's a perpetual process. A person has to always be returning back in tshuva. A person has to do like Rabbi Nachman says, tshuva on their tshuva. A person has to engage in repentance and then come to realize that in relationship to where I can get to next, I haven't even begun. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. But Ezra Sashem for tonight, what we want to try and focus on is the simple truth that 
relative, according to our Nakuda Sabahira, according to our position of what it means to be a human being struggling with their stuckness and trying to move forward, we have to learn to celebrate and value the smallest bite-sized pieces of experiences, the pirurim, that Bechina of Purim, those tiny infinitesimal pieces, which in truth contain the entire reality in front of them. And that way we will be able to take pleasure and pride in the steps forward that we take Be'ezra Sashem. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Oh,